Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Um, so let me just share something about what we're doing in Greece and, uh, and hope you catch the vision too. Um, bing! Right. <laughs> um, I originally come from South Africa and um, South Africa has had the gospel like for 360 years or so. Today there are about 40,000 churches in South Africa. There are millions of people in South Africa who claim to be born-again evangelical believers. But by contrast, if you go to Greece, if you go to Greece, <laughs> Greece has had the gospel for how long? 2,000 years. It first came with Barnabas and Silas and Paul and Timothy, all those great men of God. It was the very first mission field. But if you go to Greece today, you'll find less than two people in a thousand, 0.2% of the people who claim to be born-again Christians in Greece. Put it another way, 99.8% of the people in Greece don't know what it is to know Jesus as their personal Savior. Don't know what it is to have any assurance of salvation. Now you say, why is this? Why is Greece in such a sad, sad spiritual state? Well, first of all, Greece is a very religious place. Everywhere you go in Greece, you'll find uh, churches. The smallest little town, the loneliest little island, there's a church dominating the society. And um, even the priests there are paid by the government. You don't have to have any spiritual call, calling you just a, a government employee like a, 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 a teacher or a street sweeper. It's a very secure job. So, and the priest is highly respected in the community. I mean, you get on a bus and the bus is full of people and, they, and the priest gets on. People jump out of their seats to give the, the, the priest a seat. You know, and he's the authority. I mean, one day I was going to uh, hand some lady um, a Bible bag that we have. Um, and at that moment, the priest walked by. And she said, uh, she called out to him and said, is it, is it safe for me to, to read this? He said, well, give it to me and I'll, I'll read it this evening and I'll tell you tomorrow if you can read it or not. You know, there's such a... He's such a um, dominant figure in the, in the community. But you can't use traditional means of evangelism to, to reach the Greeks. They will, in fact, mock you, spit at you, shout at you. They don't want to hear about evangelism. They think you are part of some sort of cult. Um, Somebody from outer space, they don't understand how anybody, I mean, we've had the gospel here for 2,000 years, and you come and bring this strange new teaching. They think it's very distasteful. <laughs> but we're a mission that's going places. So I want to just tell you a few things that we, we're doing in Greece. Um, uh, so let's just see what we're doing. First of all, Greece is surrounded by hundreds of little islands. In fact, about 1,500 islands. But only eight of them are actually inhabited. The rest are inhabited by uh, cockroaches and scorpions and snakes. <laughs> but 
where the people are, eight, there are 80 inhabited islands. And of those 80 inhabited islands, only seven of them have got any form of evangelical fellowship or church. <clears throat> so if you're a Christian uh, on a Greek island and there may be nowhere where you can meet with other believers for teaching, for fellowship, and, and to grow in grace uh, with other believers. So those islands desperately need to hear the gospel. So we've got uh, a yacht called the Morning Star, which goes around from island to island, trying to encourage people, trying to sp uh, share gospel literature, trying to help the people in some way. And we regularly take teams from, from churches that will come along with us and help us do that work. So if you fancy a nice yacht trip in the Greek islands, come along. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and we can, we can take a team and, and you can help us in this way spreading the gospel there. Um, our biggest uh, work at the moment is working among the refugees. There are thousands of refugees pouring through Greece trying to get into Europe. Um, in fact, in the last year we've had like 800,000 refugees coming through the, through the island of Lesbos just off the coast of Turkey. And they are trying to get into, into Greece. Um, 800,000. This is an island that has a population of about 30,000. So suddenly you're getting two to 8,000 people, refugees at a time on the island. It's, it's, it's a huge political problem for, for Europe, but it's a wonderful gospel opportunity for us. These are people that would never have heard the gospel otherwise. We can't send missionaries into their countries. They get their heads chopped off. But God is bringing them into Greece, um, and we're able to share the gospel with them. And you know, right now, almost every day, there are Muslim people turning to Jesus among these refugees. I've spoken to missionaries working there in Cape Town among the refugees, and some of them have worked for 10 years and never seen a convert. But every day we are seeing people turning to Jesus. It's a wonderful opportunity. And um, we have uh, a medical center there. We've got a, we help them with legal aid, with food, with clothing, and we share the gospel. We're not the Red Cross. We're there to share the gospel as our prime purpose. Some of these people come with tremendous problems. You know, they are... They, they, Turkey's paid millions of euros to, to keep these, these refugees in Turkey, but they don't worry. They just turn a blind eye when the people smugglers come along and, and try to get these um, refugees into, into Greece and into Europe. And they have to pay them like $2,000 at a time or 2,000 euros. Um, and they promise all sorts of things. They promise when you get to, to Greece, we'll get you a, a job, we'll get you a nice accommodation. And then they find they put on some rickety boat that maybe take, maybe is there for 20 people and they've got 50 people on this boat. And as a result, even in that short crossing, like it's six miles from, from Turkey to uh, Lesbos, about 500 people have already drowned this year trying to get in there. 
They come with desperate, desperate situations. But they're open to the gospel because they've, they're disillusioned with Islam, they're disillusioned with ISIS, they see what's going on, and they are ready, open to hear the word of God. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us. Some of them come with very sad stories. I think of this guy here. His name is Javad. Javad was eight years old when um, the Taliban came into his home in Afghanistan. They asked his parents if they had any guns. They said, no, we don't have any guns. So they went to little Javad and they said, if you tell us where your parents hide the guns, um, we will we'll give you some candy. So little Javad, he doesn't know any better. He shows him where the guns are. And these Taliban terrorists, they took the guns and they shot his parents and his little sister right in front of him. Um, somehow Javad managed to escape himself and he, he, for the, he spent the next few years wandering around Afghanistan and eventually into Iran and Turkey and then Greece. Um, and by the time he came to Greece, he was a young teenager. He came to our refugee center and here he heard the gospel. You know, he came there frightened and insecure and not knowing what's, what's going on in his life. And he heard the gospel and it, and it just changed his life. Um, it's just like what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians. He said, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Javad today is actually working with, with our mission as and uh, helping us reach other refugees. There he is teaching uh, little refugee kids something or other. I don't know what he's teaching them, but, but you know, you, you talk to him today and he's, he's bright, he's balanced, he's uh, outgoing, he's full of the joy of the Lord because he had an, a real encounter with Jesus. Um, another great thing we're doing there is handing out Bibles. Every year we have this project called Operation Joshua, where we hand the, uh, the Bible in modern newspaper Greek to the Greek people. In fact, in the last 10 years, we've handed out over a million copies of the New Testament. And this is, has an amazing effect on people because... Very few Greeks own a Bible. I mean, they think of it as a book that only the, refu the priests and the, the theologians study. And if they do have a Bible, it's in ancient Greek. They don't understand it. So, I mean, I, I remember uh, going to one group of guys sitting around a little taverna one day, and I gave them this Bible back, <coughs> and... Uh, they said, what's this? I said, this is the Bible. This is God's good news for Greece, and Greece needs good news. They said, what must we do with it? I said, you must read it. Um, and they said, read it? But that's what we pay the priest to do. That's his job. They simply don't think of it as a book that relates to them. Um, we get very... Various reactions from people as we hand these Bibles out. Some of it receive it with joy. Some of it 
um, some people get mad. It's, it's just like the parable of the sower. Uh, what did it happen? Some of it fell on good ground, some of it fell on, on hard ground, some of it fell on shallow ground, some among the thorns, but some of it is falling on good ground. You know, if we're handing out a million copies of the New Testament in modern, everyday newspaper Greek, um, even if 10% of the people actually read it, that's 100,000 people reading the Word of God. And the Bible says that the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It's like a fire that burns up the chaff. This Bible is effective. It's changing people's lives. They can pick it up and read it and say, Wow, this is all Greek to me. They can understand it. So we, as a result of this, we're getting people phoning us in, writing in to us, asking for more help and information. People saying, where can we meet with, with other such people that, that believe the same things? And we've started a number of house churches, fellowships all over Greece. Um, it's a wonderful way for us to plant churches throughout Greece. Um, Sometimes we get some very um, negative reaction from people. This man was in um, Corinth. Actually, it wasn't this guy. There wasn't time to take a picture of him, but I got this off the internet. It looked very much like him. Um, he, he came running down the, the, the driveway there as I was walking up there to give him this Bible bag. And he shouted at me, Fige, Fige, which uh, translated from the original Greek means, Futsack, get out of here. <laughs> we don't want you here. You people, you people are undermining our culture. You people are, are evildoers. Go away. And he used a few other Greek words that I, I definitely didn't learn at Bible college. And you wonder, why is this man mad at me? I'm not selling drugs or pornography or doing something negative. I'm giving him good news. Why is he mad? The same reason that Jesus, the opposition that Jesus found. Who were the people that opposed him? It was the religious people, the scribes and Pharisees. In Matthew 23, Jesus speaks to the religious leaders and he says to them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you keep him out of the kingdom. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you bunch of snakes, you brood of vipers. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. I mean, he's not speaking to murderers and adulterers and terrorists. He's speaking to the religious guys, the good guys, the people that are, that are respected in the community. And he sees them as people that are actually keeping others out of the kingdom because they are preaching a false gospel. The same sort of thing happens today. We have churches that are, that are, that are instead of bringing people to Jesus, are actually keeping them away from him because they have a, a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And that's the situation in Greece. The Greek 
National Church looks upon us as a cult, as heretics. In fact, on their, um, their website they say, um, these people that are handing these Bibles out are heretics. Don't receive anything, don't engage in any conversation with them. If they've already given you a Bible, you must burn it. It can't be a holy book if it's distributed by heretics. Um, on their website there, they give a list of all the groups that you must watch out for, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Satanists, and Hellenic Ministries. Look out for these guys. They're going to lead you astray. They think we are taking people away from the kingdom. But we want to bring people to Jesus. We want to introduce him not as some far-off deity that... Uh, that they can never reach and communicate with, but someone that can save them and bring new life to them. So, let me just give you a little, this is a quick little video of uh, a report of, of the last Operation Joshua. Right, so next July we're having another one of these. Um, we're expecting 400 or so people from all over the world and it's a wonderful uh, spirit of fellowship because you're all there with the same motivation to get the word out to people. And uh, from about 30 different countries, it's a, a huge global experience, really. And it's a wonderful way of doing a mission, mission work for a week. You don't have to have any special training. You don't have to... Uh, be able to speak Greek. You just go there walking in the hot sun getting those Bibles out. But maybe one of those Bibles that you hand out is going to change somebody's life. Greece has never had a revival. It's never had a reformation. Greece desperately needs the gospel. We need people to pray for us. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. We can have all sorts of great projects, and we've got many more things that we're doing in Greece that I haven't told you about, but uh, if God isn't in it, we're just wasting our time. We're just spinning our wheels. We, wanna, we want people to pray for us, and we're trying to build up a great community right around the world that will pray for Greece. You may never be able to go to Greece as a missionary. You may not be able to support the work financially, but all of us can pray. So if you'd like to get our regular monthly prayer letter, uh, give us your name and an email address and we'll send it to you every month. The Bible says, call upon me, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. As I said, Greece has never had a revival, but you think back to America in the 1860s or so, there was a man called Jeremiah Lanfear who in the city of New York had a great burden for, for the city. So he, he called together a, a prayer meeting in this local church there. Uh, he handed out hundreds of leaflets to, to advertise this prayer meeting, and eventually six people came. And those six people met every Wednesday at lunchtime to pray for revival to come to Greece, to New York. Um, and then something happened, the stock market collapsed, and people started getting desperate, and people started coming to the prayer meeting. Uh, scores of them, hundreds. In fact, eventually there were 10,000 people gathering all over New York 
to pray for the situation there. And revival broke out and spread through, throughout New York and through the rest of, through the rest of America. Uh, he wasn't, this Jeremiah Lanfear wasn't a preacher. He wasn't, a, he wasn't um, any a great celebrity or anything like that. He was just an ordinary businessman who had a heart for the city. We're trying to find people like that who have a heart to pray for Greece. So we're looking for people to pray for us. We need prayers and we need payers. There's very little money available in Greece, so we're looking for people to help support the work there as well. And the third thing we're looking for, prayers, payers, and players. Um, Tom Landry was an American football coach who said, I define football as 22 guys on the field who need rest and 60,000 people in the stand who desperately need exercise. We're trying to get people out of the grandstand onto the field of play. We want people to participate. Come and help us there working with the refugees. Come and help us hand out Bibles. Come and help us whatever, whatever your skill will even if you've got no skill, we can use you somehow or another. We need people to participate. We need prayers, we need pairs, and we need players. As Isaiah said, here am I, send me. This man was Alexander Duff. He was a missionary to India. He went home, he was sick and elderly, and he got to speak to the Presbyterian Assembly and he made an impassioned appeal for missionaries to come and work in, in India. And nobody responded. He, he was so e emotional and passionate about his uh, plea that he actually collapsed in the pulpit. And then he got back on his feet and he said, when Queen Victoria calls, hundreds of people come and help us in the, in the fight. But when King Jesus calls, there is nobody. He said, old and feeble and sickly as I am, I will go back to India and I will lie by the river Ganges that the people will, can know that there's somebody that cares for their souls. After that, a good number of people actually did respond and go to India as missionaries. But here was a man who had passion for, for, for the people, for people that were dying and lost. Greece is a place that is a desperate mission field. I mean, we think of going to Africa, to Zimbabwe or Zambia and Kenya as mission fields where 20% of the people may be born-again Christians. In Greece, 0.2%. Greece is a desperately needy place. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I'm just going to close off with a, um, a little video on this book, which is of the story of the founder of our mission, um, um, Costa Macris, who uh, went as a missionary himself to Irianjaya, one of the most primitive places in the world in Papua New Guinea. and. Uh, 
what happened there. He, okay, after 16 years working in this place, um, uh, he contracted some um, terminal disease. They sent him home to die. They said he had three months to live. But he went back and his church prayed for him and God touched him and healed him. He lived for another 25 years and then he went to Greece and started this mission. And as soon as he got to Greece, um, he was arrested uh, along with two other YOM missionaries and they were sentenced to three and a half years imprisonment for um, proselytizing because it was illegal at that stage to to hand out literature of political or religious nature to people under 18. Um, they were sentenced to three and a half years imprisonment for handing out a New Testament to a young boy of 16. Um, eventually, uh, after a year being out on appeal, they, they overthrew the, the, ver the verdict and the sentence and and uh, they never actually served it. But that time, because YWAM has got such a vast uh, um, network of people around the world, people started to pray for Greece. And we believe that was a real turning point in Greece's history. Um, at that stage, there were like 5,000 known believers in the whole country. Now there are about 20,000. So things are looking up, things are building up. And uh, this is a wonderful story. You can have it for just 10 pounds. And as a special offer, if you buy two copies, you can get it for 20 pounds. <laughs> okay, thank you. And God bless you. And remember to pray for us, to pray for Greece, and maybe come and join us there. Thanks. Thanks, Nico. This, this way?